welcome to another episode of the Mentally Chill Podcast. Thank you for coming back to the show. I hope you guys enjoy it and I hope you're all doing okay. I say okay and not good because I think if I say, I hope you're doing good and you're not doing well, then it's more apparent to you that you're not. Whereas if I say, I hope you're doing okay, there's a better chance that okay is actually happening and then you don't have to feel like you're falling short from where you should be. So I hope you're doing okay. And of course, I also say, I hope you're doing okay, rather than I hope you're doing good, because inevitably, someone may say, that's not proper English. But if I say, I hope you're doing well, then I feel like I sound pretentious. So (laughs) by saying, I hope you're doing okay, not only do I protect myself, I protect you guys as well. Overthink much, Kristen? It gets exhausting. I have to tell you guys, it really does. I am kind of having a hard time. And part of me doesn't want to tell you guys that because it's like someone asking how you are. They just want to hear you say, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. And move on. So I feel annoying saying I'm not good, but I'm not great. I got some really bad, devastating news and I'm trying to digest it and deal with it and not fall into a dark hole and and lose it. But I wish so badly that the news I could tell you guys that I got that was devastating was that the McDonald's near my parents' house closed. I really, really, really wish that could be it or that it could be something really funny. But unfortunately, truly, I got some really awful, devastating news. And every day has been a trial, but I'm I'm luckily with my family. I say that trepidatiously because I don't feel lucky to be with my family right now because I would love to indulge my desire to stay in bed all day and be a hermit, but I can't. So in one sense, that annoys the hell out of me. And on the other hand, it's good for me. And it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm with drill sergeants where I'm getting out of bed at 7am. Believe me, I'm sleeping enough for sure. But uh, for anyone else, it's enough. But for me, not really, but I don't want my mom to frown at me. So I do pull myself out of bed. And I did do something the other day, which I'm really excited about. It took me so much energy to figure this out. It shouldn't take this much energy. I don't know what my problem is, but I finally got a merchandise store online up and running and I'm so proud of myself. It really wasn't that hard. It was more difficult trying to find where I even do this kind of thing. There was this dog on Instagram. Maybe you saw him. He had a little viral video. His name is Mr. Bubs. He's amazing. You will relate to him on a spiritual level. The video that went viral of him was amazing. Please look it up. But I started following him. And because of following him, they started selling merchandise. Not because I started following them, but because so many people did. When they started selling this merchandise, I saw a link to this place called Spreadshirt. And I was like, oh, what's this? Anyway, I I put it all together and have things online now for you guys to buy. The way it works is you purchase through the website. They print it and ship it and send it and all that kind of stuff. And I think I make like a dollar or two off of it or something like that. So you can support me by going to buy some merchandise. There's all different sorts of things on there. There's t-shirts, hoodies, Uh, There's a hat. There's a mug. I could keep listing here. We could be here till the end of the podcast because I could keep listing because there's so much stuff on there. No, there's not that much stuff, but there's enough stuff and I'll stop listing it so you guys can actually get to the actual show for today. 
But the website to go to if you want to get merchandise is shop.spreadshirt, S-P-R-E-A-D. I should give you guys the benefit of the doubt that you can spell the word spread. But one more time, it's shop.spreadshirt.com slash mentally dash chill dash podcast. I wish I could get a, a shorter, easier, more truncated version of that link. But for now, that's what it is. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash mentally dash chill dash podcast. Go on there, get yourself some mentally chill goodies. And of course, I'm going to do a quick Patreon shout outs. I have so many and I didn't realize I had this many. I think because I skipped the show last week, um, they've piled up a bit. So thank you so much to Sarah P, Rachel P, no, of no relations, of different P's. Uh, one's of the English P's, the other one's of the Indonesian P's. I don't know. Uh, Vincent M, Ryan H, Chris L, Samantha E, and CCG. CC, I was debating whether or not to abbreviate your last name because you're already what sounds to be two letters, CC. But I got crazy and I did it. So thank you to all of you guys so much for joining Patreon. And if anyone else wants to join, go to patreon.com slash mentally chill. Uh, okay, so the guest for today's show I had for about a half an hour. So I'm going to do a little bit more talking before I introduce the guest and get to the guest. And what I wanted to talk about a bit was the fact that it's a joke at this point that I'm still reading the book Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. I am still reading it. I am on page 108. And even in a book that's a larger size, 108 pages is not a lot. But this book, you could fit in your back pocket. It's tiny. It's so small. I mean, you could fit it in the back pocket of like baby's jeans. It's that small. No, it's not that small. But the fact that I'm only on page 108 after, I don't know, six months is really, uh, really quite something. It should be documented. I think I should talk to the Guinness Book of World Records for how slow I am at actually reading. But what's even more embarrassing is that I just read a, I don't know, 289 page book, which is not that much, but for me, it's a lot called Behind Closed Doors. It was such a bad book. It was so terrible. Jen, consultant Jen, recommended it to me. I'm very mad at her. And because she didn't like the movie La La Land, I'm going to force her to rewatch La La Land as payment for suggesting this book. But it was such a bad book. But it was a page turner. And I finished it within, I don't know, four days. That's insane for me. I've been working on Man's Search for Meaning for many, 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 many months. I can't even count that high, which is not really saying much because I can't count high at all. But the reason I am fretting on how long it's taken me to read this is because I wanted to get to a part in the book that I should have been long done with by now. However, I really love the type of psychoanalysis Dr. Frankel developed called logotherapy. And I wanted to tell you guys about it so that it can penetrate your brain. Because once it penetrated my brain, once I kind of wrapped my head around it or just even read it, it felt so groundbreaking to me, so simple yet so groundbreaking. And actually later on in the episode, my guest mentioned something about a simple solution. And I say, it always seems to be the most simple solution. And this is such a simple solution to many of our problems yet so difficult to achieve. But the type of psychoanalysis that he developed is called logotherapy. And logo is Greek for the word meaning. 
So logotherapy focuses on the meaning of human existence in therapy. So rather than being retrospective or introspective, you focus more on the future and meanings to be fulfilled by the patient in his future. It's a meaning-centered psychotherapy, which I think we lack so much of. It's finding your purpose for being alive and focusing on that to pull you out of the well that you're in, whether it be obsessive compulsive disorder or depression or anxiety or even terminal illness. Dr. Frankel used logotherapy to help his patients. And uh, you may or may not know the book. Now I've mentioned several times and I had a guest on a while back named Josh talking about this book as well. But Dr. Frankel was in Auschwitz and not just in Auschwitz, like visiting it. He was in it, in it and saw the worst of the worst and had to find some sort of meaning in existence, even if that existence was suffering. And my favorite line in the book, actually, he quotes from Nietzsche and says, he who has a why can bear almost any how. I'm not saying the quote exactly, but it's something to that extent. And so I think for me, it hit me because I don't feel like I have much meaning in my life right now. So when I read about logotherapy, I had like an epiphany where I realized I don't know what my meaning is. I don't know why I'm on this earth. And so I have to figure that out. And I hope you guys know your meaning. And if you don't, you'll help figure it out with me. Maybe we'll have the same meaning. Maybe our meaning is to be super cool and just to make the earth a cooler place. So we'll just have to get some cool ass sunglasses and just be cool. Okay. The next thing I want to do is enough that shit. I haven't done one in a while, and the rest of the episode today was actually taped more than a month ago, and so this is a current event, a tragic one and an awful one, but definitely one that deserves attention because it was so tragic and just so horrific. So two mental health patients in the back of a sheriff's van drowned in Hurricane Florence when the van was overcome with floodwaters. They were being transported from uh, Loris Hospital to a another behavioral hospital. Now, when I first read the story, it said the women were chained in the back of the van. The story I'm seeing now is not saying that they were restrained in any way. And also, when I first read the story, several outlets referred to the women as detainees. So it seemed to be some sort of prison transport, but yet they had called them mental health patients. So I know the line gets blurred sometimes because of the way the government categorizes people. But in this instance, they were not detainees. Now that I've read an updated article, they were two women, one suffering from schizophrenia, another suffering from depression, and both voluntarily going into a mental health facility to help themselves. But the two deputies survived and said they couldn't get the doors open. And what a torturous way to die. And the tragicness of the fact that they were seeking help makes it that much sadder. And even sadder, it could have been avoided because apparently the deputies may have driven around a barrier blocking a road that was flooded as they attempted to take the women to the behavioral center. Now, no one wants to get to the behavioral center that badly. It's not like me with McDonald's. It wasn't an emergency. There were no suicide threats that I know of. There was no rush. There was no rush. Go back to the station or wherever it was beforehand and wait it out. 
normally no one would ever want me as their employee. However, in this situation, I would have been the best employee that they would have because of my laziness. I would have said, eh, let's hang out. I don't want to get wet. Let's not go in the rain. Let's hang out a little bit. These ladies look fine. We'll chill. Apparently, I don't know if these guys were overzealous in their job, why they would feel the need to get these women in there during a hurricane. There could be more to the story, but when I see stories like this, and then I'll see some chick post the quote, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. This didn't happen for a reason. There was no greater reason for this. Maybe someone would argue it's to better the system, but no change is going to be made because of this. The sheriff's office didn't respond to attempts for an interview. So, you know, I don't see a greater picture coming from this. I just see a true tragedy and it's really, really, really sad. And honestly, incredibly difficult to transition out of a story like that. It is. I don't know how to just go, and now the guest is... But I guess that's what I have to do. So for today's show, I have Peter Melman on, who is a writer for Seinfeld and a producer on Seinfeld for nearly all of the seasons that it was on TV. And he talks about how he suddenly, when things were going great, developed panic attacks and and mainly how he suddenly had this irrational fear of driving on the freeway. But honestly, now that I think about it, it's not that irrational to have a fear of driving on the freeway. It's actually pretty scary. So he talks about that, and he also talks about his experience on an antidepressant, which was a positive one, so it's nice to hear something positive other than when you're at Planned Parenthood. Uh, And as I've mentioned now, I'm going to be doing show disclaimers. So my show disclaimer for this week, drumroll, is there's interference on the mics. And it was so typical. I was so nervous to do this episode because I am such a huge fan of Seinfeld that I was truly trembling going into taping. And when we tape, we wear headphones. But Peter chose not to wear the headphones. Therefore, he wasn't hearing the interference. And I had to keep stopping him and saying, hey, I'm sorry, there's interference. So finally, I gave up and just let him talk through the interference. So my apologies for that interference. I feel like I'm a referee at a football game saying the word interference so many times. And so that's it for the show disclaimer. But before I send you off with Peter, I am going to do something I've never done before. This is the first time in mentally chill history. I'm going to do an ad for you guys. And I'm very honored that this is the first ad because I think this is the coolest idea for an app. So this guy hit me up. He said he developed an app that's a dating app for people with health challenges And I think this is such a good idea for a dating app. I'm jealous that I didn't come up with it. The name of it is called Lemonade, L-E-M-O-N-A-Y-D-E. You can get it in iTunes or Google Play. And Nico, the guy who developed it, developed it because he has a skin condition and always leaned away from dating. And tons of people tend to do that because the questions come in your head. How am I going to tell them? How do I explain this way? There's compassion in dating and comfort in dating. So I love this app. Go check it out. It's brand new. Be one of the first people on there to start this cool trend. It's a great idea. I'm so glad that Nico hit me up. So LemonadeApp.com, L-E-M-O-N-A-Y-D-E-A-P-P.com and uh, get dating. Okay. All right. On to Peter and the rest of the show. 
just to prove to you how much of a Seinfeld fan I am, one oh my God. necklace says Costanza, and this other one that you can't really see the, the writing on, it says Cartwright from yeah, the restaurant the episode. Restaurant. Yeah. Cartwright. Mm-hmm. Cartwright. Anyway, had to get that out of the way. So you're, you've never been married? No. No kids? No. And so do you ever feel lonely? No. Really? That's why I, I think, well, among the many reasons I've never gotten married, and I don't even know the half of them, but of the ones I figured out, you know, I just, even when I was a kid, I just liked being alone. You know, I've never felt lonely. Well, maybe, you know, I've never been felt lonely like sitting in my house alone. You know, maybe at a wedding, if I don't have a date, that kind of feels a little lonely. When it's thrown more in your face that you're yeah. alone. Yeah. Do you have family here at all or anything? I have some cousins here. I have tons of friends. I mean, you know, it's like family. I mean, you know, I have friends who are, you know, you build a whole new family when you move out here. When you move 3,000 miles away from your actual family. Right. You know, you got to find friends who are going to... Um, and, you know, I'm lucky I have, you know, friends within 50 yards of here who are, you know, like people I feel like I've known my whole life. Do they ever do the pop-in? No. That's good. That's Nobody a good friend. Nobody does a pop-in. That's a good friend. And I never, ever answer my front door if I don't know that somebody's coming. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would never, never. What about answer a phone call? Um, yeah, uh, no. You know, <laughs> for the most part. The eye roll with it speaks to me. Yeah. It, it speaks to me because it's like, no, nah, I'm not answering your call. I, come on, don't call me. You know, caller ID is kind of a mixed blessing. You know, some you could cut out a lot of time, but then you could see who it's from, and then you're just, bingo, the phone rings. <laughs> I summoned it. But, you know, you're put through this new decision of knowing who's calling and whether to pick up. I mean, that's tough. Oh, it's really tough. I quickly in my mind go through, what excuses have I already used for not answering the phone and do I have any left? And I, so I'm going through the tally of how many times I've not answered this person's call, what I've lied saying I'm doing. But the irony is that I am so lonely. I should answer the call. I'm so lonely and then I get the opportunity to distract myself for a minute, but it feels like so much work or so much energy mm. to pick up that phone and to talk to a human being. And then I do a podcast. It's really weird. Well, <laughs> you're a bundle of contradictions. <laughs> I know I am. Oh, it's a nightmare being me. What a nightmare. So you've had panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Do you have them often? No, not anymore. I, was, I started having panic attacks at the most unlikely time, or maybe it's a likely time. I don't know. But, you know, I just finished producing two seasons of my the show that I did after Seinfeld. It was called It's Like, You Know. and um, I love that title. Yeah, mo a lot of people didn't like that title, but I don't care. Really? I'm they glad didn't? that you liked it. Yeah, Even the it, New York Times, which raved about the show, basically said, despite its off-putting title. Oh, geez. I love that title. I, I hear that title, then I hear a title like Third Rock from the Sun or something like, ah, yeah. who would watch that? Yeah. Like that kind of, those shitty titles. And that's, that's one there. of the better ones. I mean, you know, the, the, the really bad ones are like, um, you know, Eight is Enough or right. all these titles <laughs> where, you know, they all sound like every other show. Um, and, you know, and I was, you know, getting grossly overpaid. And, um, 
you know, so I had a little time to chill and think about, you know, what I, what show I wanted to put on next. And it would seem that life couldn't be better. You know, I totally relaxed. I didn't have to show up everywhere every day. You know, I could go to the gym and shoot baskets for an, for an hour a day and, and then, you know, mosey on into work. And then all of a sudden I'd be dry. I start, I was driving one day to an airport in Washington and I was like, Oh, you know, feeling woozy and like I was, you know, it was like my Apollo 13 to get to the next exit. And it just came out of nowhere. I realized that it didn't totally come out of nowhere, that I had had these kind of things where I got a little anxious on the road, you know, and... Um, was it usually I didn't when you know were what driving? That, yes, which I later realized that was really the most life-threatening situation that I'm in. I think I had panic attacks kind of waiting around in my head for an opportunity to show themselves. And, you know, like walking around the street, I wasn't, you know, but driving, there was the opportunity and especially on freeways. Right. It's like herpes. There's like, it's there latent. And then (laughs) all of a sudden at the worst time, boom, panic attack slash herpes. I, you know, I imagine the analogy part of the SATs was a little tough for you but um (laughs) but anyway um the whole SATs but you know like I didn't know what was going on and then when the term panic attack settled into my head you know I realized and you know for a long for months you know I started getting them and I couldn't I was driving on I couldn't drive on the freeways at all Mm -hmm. I started seeing a therapist you know the funny thing is the therapist and my father you know, I said, I can't drive on the freeways. I can't, I just can't. And my father said, so don't drive on the freeway. And it was like the wisdom of that was just incredible. It's always the simple answer. And then my, and then I went to this therapist and she basically said the exact same thing. So don't drive on the freeway or take one exit and get off. And then maybe the next time do two exits. And, you know, I was working on it. And, you know, then I had a few unrelated to driving panic attacks you know like one of them like i woke up in the middle of the night and it was like a bomb came through the roof you know and you know like i'm in bed and I, i'm like and i called 911 you did well my heart was like you know some your heart races so um i called 911 and i said i'm having a horrible horrible panic attack and you know i'm worried that i and, you know, so they were going to send an ambulance right away. You know, it's like not far away. There's a fire station. And as soon as I'm talking to the 911 operator, the, con- you know, the fi- panic attack is totally dying of down. Of course. You're like, no, 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 I swear they were just here. It was just here. It's like yeah. you have a ghost or something. I swear there's usually the cupboards are usually open. And, you know, like when the ambulance was coming, I was like sitting in this chair in my living room reading a magazine, (laughs) waiting for an ambulance to come pick me up. Right. And then, you know, like, you kind of have to go with it. You You do, you have to commit at that point. Yeah. I'm just sitting there thinking, geez, I hope they don't have the sirens on. And they didn't. And, uh, you know, I mean, just to be at like 2 o'clock in the morning, sitting in the back of an ambulance, watching the PCH in the ocean recede behind you as you go to St. John's Hospital... And it was just like, how do I get here? What is this about? Right. You know, and then, you know, they su- suggested a little Ativan or something like that, which, you know, I don't, I didn't want to take because I had already tried Xanax and I thought 
one time the Xanax was pleasant. Like I felt like I was kind of stoned. Not that I was much of a pot smoker ever, but one time at a meal, you know, I felt like I was like a little high, <laughs> but other times it would have this bounce effect after it wore off and I'd feel worse than I did uh, before. When you would feel worse, would it feel like you were back into panic more? Or Yes, you... and a higher level of panic. Really? My experience with Xanax, I don't take it too often, but when I do take it, I, I, I don't know if most people do this or call it this, but I call it my Xanax hangover because the next day I'll feel 10 times more depressed. Right. There's a bounce effect. It's yeah. It's a bounce effect. Yeah. You, and, you know, you bounce higher. And I sometimes I have to weigh what's more important. I'm having severe anxiety right now. Do I take the Xanax and know tomorrow I'm going to be down and just feel really lethargic and like my brain won't turn on all day and have to deal with that? Or should I sit through this anxiety and just suffer through the anxiety so that I don't have to deal with my Xanax hangover the next day? Yeah. Well, you know, your thought patterns can help or hurt you. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, you know, I kind of told the whole story. You know, I spent about six months trying everything, you know, from chiropractors and massages and uh, acupuncture and therapy and everything and yoga I think in a way all to avoid like actually going on any kind of a medication and then finally I um, I met with this doctor uh, you know a psychopharmacologist and you know he um, he put me on Zoloft and uh, I said, isn't this for depression? And he goes, it, it, yes, but it can also actually be really good for panic attacks because your serotonin receptors are off. That's your problem. That's why you're having panic attacks. You know, like. Did you buy that? Um, no. At that point, I didn't buy anything, but I was also willing to try anything. And, you know, like within six weeks, it worked. I was, you know, like this doctor just absolutely loved me because I was like the poster child for a successful Zoloft prescription. Right. He didn't have to go, oh, you again. Are you still on the Zoloft? Yes. So how many years has it been? 17. 17? Wow. And it still works consistently? It's not like you built Uh up a tolerance or anything? Still works great. That's really good news. I actually, at one time, my therapist stopped having office hours he was on to something else for a while so he wasn't like really a doc and so i was seeing somebody else just to kind of keep up the prescription and he started suggesting maybe you could you know lower your dosage i just i love whoa, how, whoa, whoa. i love how people are always going yeah i'm on blah blah but it's the lowest possible dose <laughs> right they love bra- six like thousand milligrams but like it's, it's the bra- lowest it's, dose it's the lowest possible right. dose. there's nothing wrong with me I right mean, and, right and, you know, like, he knocked it down, like, by half, and, you know, it seemed fine. And then I'm driving home one day on the uh, Santa Monica freeway, and uh, it's, it's back. And, you know, I'm not as panicked because I know about it. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm on the freeways, but not a lot. And it's like, this, why? You know, why do this to myself? Why force myself? You know, I, and I do force myself sometimes, but... You know, I'm trying to just take it easy on myself. You got to give yourself a break sometimes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, you don't realize how hard you are on yourself. I know. That's one thing that I've struggled with my entire life. And I think I, I got hard on myself because no one had ever been really hard on myself. And I was sick of feeling like just so Mm. mediocre. But my parents, wonderful people. I always have to do the 
qualifier. They're great people, wonderful people, but they didn't push me to need to be anything bigger than just regular, which is fine. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're a regular suburban family, and but I wanted to be bigger or different or do something, but I didn't have anyone telling me, you have to wake up and do it now and have yeah, discipline. Yeah, that wasn't my parents either. Yeah, zero discipline. So I, I started beating myself up and getting really hard on myself, and I've never been able to stop. But it's funny, though, because I beat myself up, but yet you know, I don't get the desired results of the beating up, which is... You know, oh, you doing really well at something. You probably should stop the beating up. I know. <laughs> I got to throw away the boxing gloves. But so on the Zoloft, if you do go on the freeway now, 17 years later, you still think you could maybe have a pan back on your full dosage? Um, yeah. I really kind of, you know, if it was very important to me, I would, you know, be spending more time, you know, just taking one exit, just. You know. So all these many years later, it's not like yes. you just jump on and it is act. not. It is. Wow. There's never a week that goes by that I don't think about it. I mean, there were weeks there were before I lowered the dose. I hate that doctor who had me lower yeah. the dose. I mean, you know, leave well enough alone. And you weren't. Should you be weren't my having, motto yes. in life. Yes. You know, like if things are, even, you know, things are going okay, just leave it. But right. I listen to this idiot. Did he take ownership and say, yeah, sorry, my fault, fucked up, or no? No, I didn't even tell him. It happened that the first doctor went back to work. So I started seeing him again, and it was, you know, like, yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, he said, look, it's, the, it's, it's not like, you know, this is going to heal your receptors, you know? Mm-hmm. You need help do with you, it. Do you think you ever had any trauma in a car? that you've blocked out or I don't think so I I just I I don't know you know again all this is just theory but you know it just seemed like it's the one place where I was in total control of things and I could die you know like I was during the worst of it I was flying I wasn't you know I didn't develop a sudden fear of flying in fact I felt fantastic on a plane you know like I went to Vietnam I went to a New Year's Eve party in Normandy, you know, like on the spur of the moment. Wow. Somebody says, we're having this party. Too bad. You, you, oh, God, I should have told you to come. I said, I could still come. I she wouldn't could, even go to one in, uh, in Venice. Yeah. Let alone go all the way to Normandy. And I mean, Venice, California. Yeah. So you weren't, your, the quality of your life hadn't changed. Oddly enough, it really didn't. Uh, for a while, it did. You know, for a couple of months, I mean, I was still writing and still working and I was still like going to DreamWorks and I I was helping out on Madagascar, the movie at the time. So, you know, I was very involved in that. I just wasn't taking the freeway to Glendale. Oh, God. How long is your ride if you don't take the freeway? 45, no, 50 minutes, almost an hour. Okay. That's not too bad. not so bad. Yeah. It's really not so bad. You know. I'm probably the person giving you a panic attack on the freeway because I'm I'm the weaver. Oh. I have no patience. Everyone's driving like it's Sunday. It's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Like, stop driving like you're on a Sunday ride. So I get very impatient. I don't know. Like, it wasn't even other drivers. Although, you know, like sometimes I would get like somebody who was in my blind spot mm. and I knew they were there and yet... And they just like, hang out they there? They just hang out in your blind spot and it would, that would make me really panicky. I got to say, at the beginning of the panic attacks, I was... Um, going to a concert with my girlfriend of course she was driving and do you have a panic when she's driving on the freeway no but i was having like oh my god you know like these you know uh, thoughts come into your head you know compulsive kind of thoughts like what if i grab the wheel right now 
do you think that... And, you know, like I'd sit on my hands, literally. Yeah, sometimes I think I'll think of something that I don't want to do so much that I just have no choice but mm-hmm. to do it. Luckily, I've never really done that. Yeah. One time, though, I did uh, do something really stupid. I was about 16, but I made... No, I was probably 15 because I didn't know how to drive yet. But my dad, we were on the New York State Thruway. He was probably going 65. And in my mind... I wanted him to go faster. I do not know what I was thinking. He, to this day, can't get over that I did this, but I took, the, the car was in drive, obviously, and I took it and I shifted it to like drive two or something. Because uh-huh. in my mind, like a video game, you'll speed up. It'll just make you go faster. And I just wanted him to go faster for whatever reason. And I just shifted the car while he was driving. He's like, what are you, insane? What are you doing? That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. But it was one of those feelings like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And Ugh. I did it. But I, I learned my lesson. I've never yeah. done anything like that again. I'll tell you, I mean, the thoughts you have during these things are so amazing. I mean, I think it helps to, to be a person who's oriented towards being funny. Like, you could kind of at least, like, can you, be, you know, look at it in a wry kind of way? Like, can you believe this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happened to me so much. Again, with that, that girlfriend, then, you know, we were in Cabo. And... Uh, Who's you having know, panic attacks in I'm Cabo? Thinking, nobody. Nobody. But you are. And in fact, I'm, no, I wasn't oh, even good. having panic oh, attacks. I was, I, but I was fo- focused on that, oh my God, you know, I feel pretty good. I really feel pretty good. And, you know, here's my girlfriend walking around topless and all I'm thinking about <laughs> is, oh, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. You know, maybe I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll be right with you. Yeah. Uh, it's just so weird. <laughs> so did you think it to the point where then you stopped having a good time? You know, I was kind of just relieved, you know, like, you know, during that whole time, and even now to some extent, once in a while, I have to remind myself to just drop my shoulders. You know, like all of a sudden you're oh, like yes. this and you don't even realize Oh it. my God. Always. Sometimes when I'm yeah. laying in bed, I don't realize my face is squeezed and I'll remember to relax my face. And it's really interesting the difference mm-hmm. when you are laying there and you're, you are tense and you're even though you're laying and relaxed, your face is like, Ugh. and then once you let go of those muscles, it's like, Whoa. Whoa, I didn't know how much work nice. my face had been doing yeah. all day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good idea to check in with yourself and your yeah. body and loosen that butt clenched. My, I mean, I'm constantly like my, I'm always just my body's like, oh, constantly at attention. You want to take a second? To... <sighs> okay. Well, I sigh a lot and um, my boyfriend is, he's not used to it because he's never been around someone who sighs so much and he thinks I'm angry or mad luckily because we're long distance it doesn't happen too often but when we're around each other he's like are you okay and i was like oh sighing is a good sign for me it means i'm just letting letting Mm. loose i'm letting go it's like wild and crazy time if i sigh because i my my body's desperately asking me to just chill out for a minute and my college roommate the same thing um we had bunk beds and i would sigh before i go to sleep because i'm trying to relax i don't realize i'm sighing but she would say are you mad at me did i do something no but also, but, but sure, don't eat my cereal anymore, you know, to give me the opportunity yeah. to say something, but I wasn't. And then, um, so um, when you are doing stand-up now, what does the panic feel like in that scenario? Are you stage frighty? I am calmer on stage doing stand-up than I am when I'm at Starbucks saying I'll have a venti half-calf. Well, that's intimidating for even an Italian. <laughs> but no, that's amazing so i'm very calm. envious of that i am so calm on stage it's like everything is happening in slow motion 
you know, I'm not. I feel completely in control of everything. And, you know, like, and the fact of the matter is, look, A, I have nothing at stake, you know? Yeah. You're and, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> You're so lucky. No, I'm very lucky. I have nothing at stake. I could do what I think is funny. And um, I do stand up in a way in which I don't even, you know, I, I don't even acknowledge the audience being there. You know, one in one bit, I asked the audience a question, but it's not a question they, they would answer. Right. To go back to the panic stuff real quick, did your family ever have panic attacks? Was there any mental health things in your family that you had to see growing up? Um, not that I had to see growing up, but there were things I didn't know about. I mean, I think my father went through a period of, I don't know if he had panic attacks or he did have some kind of like depression thing, I think for a while, but I never really got a straight answer about it. You know, like, and I, I, I wasn't too willing to pursue it. Yeah. I pursuing it wouldn't really make much sense. It's kind of like pursuing their sex life. Like you'd rather not know, but okay, we're going to do some segments. Mm -hmm. So the first one, I think I've actually done this before and I, I, I'm sorry that I'm doing this one with you. Uh, but I had no choice because I've really refrained from a lot of Seinfeld commentary. I, mm -hmm. I think I've done pretty well. Anything you want to ask about, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here. Okay. So for who's sadder, who's sadder, George or Newman? Oh, George. Yeah. I think Newman had absolutely no recognition of the fact that he had kind of a pathetic life. Right. It, that's every single time I do this, who's sadder, it comes down to who's more aware, who's yeah, more self-aware. It's always more aware. I mean, you know, it's the old ignorance is bliss. Oh, absolutely. I wish, I, I so wish every day I was ignorant. I know what you mean. Yeah. So you don't think that Newman felt jealous that he didn't really have a group of friends and that made him extra lonely or sad? Well, I think there was a whole part of Newman's life that we didn't see. You know, he, this... The satellite characters in his life, we didn't really know about much. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. We just saw the intersection of his life and, you know, Kramer and our, and our people. And, you know, he got along great with Kramer, but, Such you a know, he was, he was like deluded into this whole life of thinking it was all great. Yeah. So George is definitely sadder. Okay. Uh, okay. Fifty Shades of Grey and Grey isn't sad. So tell me where you are. On this scale, just add the numbers together. So the lightest color, you're the happiest, and the darkest. Oh, so where are they sick. intersect? Yeah. So where are you mood-wise yeah, today? I'm somewhere like 25. I, I always feel like, you know, basically at the edge of a cliff. <laughs> you know, like all that can change in a minute. Right. Well, I don't want to bring on panic. Right. I seem to do that, I think, in the show. I bring out the, the sadness in somebody or the, the anxiety. Yeah. You know, it was funny when... When, you know, in the absolute teeth of the panic attacks, I was writing a screenplay with my best friend. And he said to me when he goes, you know, the best thing is that you're talking about it. You know, you're not hiding this at all. And that's the best thing for you, that you're being really upfront about it. Definitely. And that was really like, you know, you remember certain things that people say to you, like my father saying, so don't drive on the freeway. You know, like people's wisdom actually comes out in these situations. And um, then I was at some party with talking to Mary Kay Place. Do you know her? She was an actress. You've seen her in movies before. She's terrific. And she's, 
you know, Southern, and she said to me, uh, I was telling her about the panic attacks at the party because, you know, it seemed like really good party conversation. It's usually my opener. Yeah. (laughs) 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 And um, that's funny. And she says, uh, she finally says to me, Peter, for what we do, panic attacks are just a rite of passage. And I was like, God bless you. You Mm -hmm. are fantastic. It's true. When you know you're not alone, it does make it a little easier. And when you know it's normal, as a comic, having depression, not that I'm trying to be cliche, but it makes me feel at least comforted knowing that uh, people with my personality type and who see the world Mm -hmm. the the way I do don't generally feel happy 100% of the time. Right. Anyway. Okay. So the last segment is cooking with the carn. Usually I say cooking with Carney, but I, I hate my last name, so I'm trying to... How did an f- Italian father get a name Carney? He's half Irish, half Italian. Oh, okay. okay. So my grandfather was Irish. Anyway, so, um, so this is a pathetic thing I've eaten when depressed. And so if you can think of anything, please feel free to share. But uh, this pathetic meal I made once, once only. Sometimes I go back, but this was so low that I couldn't do it again. But this was ramen noodles out of the package with spaghetti sauce. Yikes. Yeah, because I was craving spaghetti, didn't have any pasta on hand. Of course, it's way too lazy to get up and go to the store. Right. I'm on a very tight budget. So I think, well, I mean, how bad can it be? I see the sauce. The sauce is a good canned sauce. It's Rayo's from New York. Oh, yeah, I got Rayo's in my refrigerator. Yeah, you have to have Rayo's. Of course, I never use it. but Well, uh, if you don't want that Rayo's, you know who you can give it to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... The, the directions for making this delicious meal. Um, step one, make sure your life is going horribly. Step two, check to see if you have any pasta. You don't, but you do see a package of ramen noodles. Step three, get a really bad idea once you see that you still have Rayos. Step four, put the noodles in a bowl with water, microwave for about two and a half minutes. Of course, microwave the sauce. Uh, step uh, five or whatever step. Uh, mix and serve while watching... Forensic Files. I love Forensic Files. Isn't it the best? I love all those shows. The Me whole too. The whole murder channel. That's all I watch. It's the best. Other people's tragedies relax me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so do you have any uh, depression food or are you going to make me just look really bad? Um, see, you can see the difference. The situation is different because you have money to spend. Yeah. So if you want anything, you can just order it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tr- I mean, my depression food, my... Everything food, my happy food and depression food is pizza. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, you know, I love ordering in pizza. Where do you get pizza in Santa Monica? That's good. Joe's Pizzeria? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know Joe's. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't like Joe's. Really? I like the Joe's in New York, but the one here, it's too thin, so I'm hungry immediately afterwards. Get another slice. How I many have... slices are you having? <laughs> What are you getting? One slice? <laughs> no, I but know, I don't. I know you, LA girls. You get one <laughs> slice, right? So if we do one slice, we really want to do it right and get I a good do, slice. I play like two hours of basketball, like it, like on Monday night, and then I have three slices. Nice. And so you go to like, Joe's and you get them to go. Yeah, it's like happy. Yeah, and they, you know, it's great because I just say three slices. You don't have to heat it up because you know. I said, oddly enough, they said, "You sure you don't want to heat it up?" I said. Well, I'm bringing it home, and you know, you're not going to believe this, but I have facilities at my house that can heat things up. It's very unusual these days. You know, like it's, people are amazed by that. You it's know? groundbreaking. Like you get bagels, and they're like uh, putting them in the slicer, and 
Do you want it toasted? I actually have. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. I have a contraption <laughs> that will toast the bagel. Crazy. Where do you find these At my these home. Things? Wow. At my home. Wow. It's not even a commercial establishment. Wow. These things must be reserved for successful writers. Yeah. Because I've never seen one. I've never seen one. <laughs> but, you know, like the money part is like there are times when I just, I don't really feel like ever cooking if I feel like shit, but sometimes I will get a, just go to Gelson's and buy a T-bone steak and barbecue it Ooh! but you know like i don't even feel like going through the effort of that exactly that's my problem is the effort everything takes so uh you don't do any of that vegan stuff nowadays or anything right vegetarian stuff no i don't know i just the energy it's the energy it is you know and i i i understand the plight of you know people who are really passionate about it but you know i barely have enough energy to wake up in the morning let alone worry about avoiding this food and that food my god you so, live a severe life. I do. And I do it to myself. No one else has done it to me. Just me. And See, I choose it every you're day. You're a self-made woman. <laughs> yeah. Self-unmade, basically. <laughs> um, you know, like, but boy, I can't recommend the rotisserie chicken at Gelson's oh, anymore highly. So good. So good. I spoil my dog who... Me too. Do you give him the... Ike. I'll buy my dog a, a rotisserie chicken. Me too. And I, can, I can't feed myself. But yet I'm like, here. Mike, you like chicken? It's like, what do you think? Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Good. Anything beats working. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. That's all I do is avoid anything that involves adulthood. All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. And uh, good luck in New York. I'll need it. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. If you want to support the show, go to iTunes, rate the show five stars. And you guys know the deal. Remember, stay sad enough to listen, but not too sad. Bye, guys.